Hi, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church. We're going to spend some time in prayer before we get into the teaching like we do every weekend here at Grace. Now, I'm not here. Um, I'm at my father-in-law's retirement celebration. He's been a pastor for my wife's entire life. In fact, he's been pastoring the same church for 39 years. That's, that's awesome. That, that just doesn't happen anymore. I got to be honest, that's my dream. If, if Grace Church was the only pa- the only church I ever pastored my entire life, uh, I would die a, die a happy man. So we're there this weekend honoring honoring him for a lifetime of service to God and to others, helping them know and to follow Jesus. So I'm sorry we can't be here today, but I did want to lead us in prayer. And most of the time we're praying for specific needs, but today I wanted to offer a prayer to God of, of thanks for all of those who serve our church family uh, every single month that, that, that don't get any recognition at all. Somebody showed up early this weekend to straighten up the chairs. Somebody put the packets together. Somebody made the coffee that, that you might have already uh, ha- had a chance to enjoy. Somebody st- uh, showed up early to take the signs, the directional signs out and put them on the street that helped you find your way here. There are 250 people that serve God by serving our church family every single month. We're having a banquet to celebrate them this coming Friday, and I wanted our entire church to take a weekend to pray for God's blessings on their life. And the other thing I'll ask you to do is, before you go home today, find somebody who's serving somewhere and say thanks. So if you would pray with me uh, on on their behalf, that'd be great. God, thank you for those who serve uh, you uh, by serving this church family. There are those who are watching over our kids right now in this service who are teaching them truths that come from Scripture. They are praying over our babies in the nursery. They're answering questions about Jesus in the toddler class. There are those who are right now out there changing out the cafe, getting it ready for the next service. Uh, there are people who helped us find parking spots. And God, there are awesome, godly, selfless people all over this church family and, and I just thought it would be appropriate this weekend to say thanks. Uh, God, thank you for sending us generous people. Thank you for sending us selfless people to our church family. Um, God, bless them. Bless them for their acts of generosity. Bless them for their acts of service. Raise up more volunteer leaders, servant leaders in this church family. Fill this place with people who look for ways to be generous and meet the needs of other people. Uh, and, and bless them. God, we ask this in your great name uh, because you served us first. We're willing to serve others. And we pray and say, amen. My name is Ken, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. And uh, you ever have a roommate like that? Anybody? I had a roommate in college that he broke a lot of the bro codes, you know? I mean, you, I mean, you know, it's a written rule. If you kill the Joe, you make some O, right? I mean, everyone knows that. You use the last of the toilet paper, you put a new role on. I mean, that's just considerate. Well, I'm a freshman in college living in the dorms, and uh, my first class is at 7.30 in the morning, which I don't know why anyone would start a class at 7.30 in the morning, because you cannot learn anything before like 9 o'clock. But anyways, I'm a freshman, and I've got this roommate, and we're getting along. It's great. But about halfway through our semester, he decides to get all spiritual, and he wants to start doing devotions, his personal devotions, at 5 a.m., now, living in the dorms, you know you don't go to bed before at least 1 or 2 o'clock. So if I'm going to bed at 2 and my class is at 7.30, uh, I've got 5 hours and 25 minutes because I'm getting up at 7.25 to go to class. 
And so the first day, his alarm goes off at 5 a.m., and he hits the snooze. So five, ten minutes later, it goes off again. He hits the snooze. That joker did that for an entire hour until I got up and I unplugged his alarm clock and he missed class that day. It's just, there's the things that you don't do, right? So we started a new series. It's called Bad Blood. And you've probably made the connection with Taylor Swift. When you first came in, you probably heard that song. How many of you guys recognize the song? That's the connection. T-Dog is real close to us. That's what we call her in the office. And so we roll that way. But anyways, um, relationships can be difficult. I'm, I'm not telling you anything you probably don't already know. Even good relationships can have periods where they're, where they're bad, where there's bad blood, where someone said something they shouldn't have said. I mean, a good relationship can change in a moment and be bad blood. Now, this is not necessarily a uh, um, husband-wife marriage you know, series, although the principles that we're going to talk about will apply to your marriage if you apply them, okay? This is not a dating series. This is a relationship series in how to have good relationships and how to mend relationships that are maybe strained. You know this to be true. The quality of our lives are only as good as the quality of our relationships. Do you agree with that statement? You know that if you have something at odds with your boss, you really don't want to go to work. You don't want to see that person, if you're at odds with your neighbor, you don't want to go into your front yard because you may have to run, you run into them, may have to talk to them. If mama ain't happy, that's right, amen. But you know what? If daddy ain't happy, it works both ways, right? When there's odds in a relationship, it's not healthy. And so the quality of our life really does depend on the quality of our relationships. This is what I'm hoping that you'll get from this series, and this is why I'm so excited about this series. Even if you don't have peace in a relationship, our goal is that hopefully you can find peace about that relationship. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference having peace in a relationship and having peace about a relationship, and we're going to talk about that. So since we're talking about bad relationships, you probably already have a person in mind, you're like, this person needs to hear this talk. And I'm already texting them right now, or I've already nudged them, right? And that's fine, because we all have those relationships in our lives. And I want you to picture that person. I want you to picture the situation that took place that caused the bad blood. And then we're going to talk about what can you do today to maybe hopefully take one step closer to making uh, that relationship healthier, all right? So what I want to do is I want to look at Romans chapter 12. Paul's going to make a statement in Romans chapter 12 that uh, once I read it, um, you're going to understand why this is not one of my favorite relationship verses. It's just very difficult. It's one that I struggle with, one that I don't do well at a lot. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace and then insert that person's name. You're like, really? Paul must have never had a mother-in-law. He didn't work for a jerk boss. He's not married to the person that I'm married to. There's no way that he could, he could have those type of relationships and then make this type of statement. 
And the fact that it's Paul who's making this statement, really, in my mind, gives it even greater weight to it because of who he was. Now, if you've been in church, you know that the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Two-thirds of the New Testament, he's the one that wrote, that we have to read. But before he became Paul, he was Saul. Before he turned and began following Jesus, he was, in essence, by definition, he was a terrorist. Read the book of Acts, the first part of Acts. He persecuted and crucified, had people put to death, put in prison, because of their religious beliefs, which would be a definition of terrorism. So Paul traveled around, had papers, legal papers, that he could say, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to have you beaten. You're a follower of Jesus and you're a leader, we're going to have you thrown in jail. And so he did that until he found Jesus. And his life was completely turned around. And I can imagine once he's come to follow Jesus, walking into Jerusalem, what up, dudes? And then looking at him going, don't what up me? Don't you remember me? You're the one that had, you had me beaten. My brother's still in jail because of you. And now you're going to walk in here like nothing's wrong? Paul knew what it was like to have bad blood. And Paul spent the rest of his life trying to make amends and correct what he did wrong. So he understands what bad blood is. So I want to look at the statement that he makes, unpack it a little bit, and then see how we can make personal application in our lives. Okay? So I want to look at the first statement that he makes. The first statement is this, if it's possible. If it's possible in that relationship that you're thinking about. Now, I'm glad he says if. Because reality is, there might be a chance that the relationship that you're thinking about may not be possible. We all have relationships that we thought, this will work out. Somehow it'll work out, we'll make amends, and it didn't. But on the flip side, there have been relationships you're like, I don't know how God's going to work this out. And miraculously, he has. So I'm glad that Paul says, if. If it's possible. The pursuit of peace without the promise of peace is not a pointless pursuit. What I mean by that is, it may not work out. The relationship may be too far gone, there may be too much hurt, and that other person just can't forgive what's taken place. But it's never wasted that at least you tried in that relationship. So Paul would say, if it's possible. Then he makes the second statement. As far as it depends on you. So who, who's, whose court does he put the ball in? Say mine. The ball is in your court in making this relationship better. It's not in that other person's. You say, but they're the ones that, they're the ones that, 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 that did the wrong. They're the ones that offended me. Why should I be the one that has to go and make amends? Because Paul's saying, if it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with them. So what depends on you? 
What is your part that you're supposed to play in making amends? And I would say it starts with you owning your part of the dysfunction. You're part of the bad blood. Now, I know you're sitting there going, but I didn't do anything. Really? It might be true. I don't know your situation. It might be true that you are completely innocent in this situation. But in the years that I've done counseling, that percentage is very small. Very small. Because even maybe in the response that you gave to the person that hurt you, that you did nothing to, you sinned. And so the first step is owning that. Because it takes two people to fight. You ever try to fight with somebody that won't fight back? You're such a jerk. I'm sorry. You're a jerk for saying you're sorry. Because you're wanting to fight. And that person's like, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm wrong. It's hard to fight with somebody who's admitting that they're wrong and admitting they're sorry. You now become the jerk for trying to keep the fight going, right? And so Paul's simply saying, what depends on you is you owning your part in the bad blood. So let me ask you, in this relationship that you're thinking about, have you done everything that you know to make the relationship better? Now I'll have people sit in front of me, and usually it's a husband and wife, and, and usually the, the, uh, the, the injured party, the one who's been offended, be like, yes, I'm only here so that you'll fix him. He's the idiot in this relationship. Fix him and we're good. And so I'll ask, so you've, you've done everything. Yes, I just told you, I've done everything. Well, have you tried this? No. Well, have you done this? No, and I'll usually name a couple of things that I've asked if they've tried, and a lot of times there's, no, I didn't do those things. And my next question is, why? Did you not know to do them? And usually that's not the case. Usually the case is they don't want to do those things because that would have ended the fight. But they're not ready to end the fight because they're hurt. Now, I don't want to minimize your hurt because your hurt is real. But if there's something that you can do to end the fight, end the, the bad blood, you should. And so usually what the person's doing is they're, I'm making them pay. They've hurt me, so I want them to hurt for just a little bit, and then we'll be all set. I'm like, okay, well, let's see what the Bible says about that. So my question is, is there something that you can do in this relationship that will bring one step Bring it one step closer to being healthy. Can you go any further? Have you thought of everything that you can do? And what I want to do is I want to give you one step that I think it may not solve everything. I mean, there's no magic pill because relationships are difficult. They're messy. They're hard. But I, I believe this step, if you take it, and everyone can, I know not everyone will, but everybody can, I believe it opens a door to at least having a conversation that will bring to health. And this is the step that I'm asking you to take. It's empathy. Empathy. Putting yourself in the other person's shoes. You're like, you've lost your mind. Why would I, why would I do that? Why would I 
put myself in that person's shoes after what they said to me, after what they've done to me. That doesn't make any sense. I'm simply saying, if you want health in that relationship, now, if you don't want that relationship to be healthy, then, then stay in your own shoes. But if you truly want to see health come to that relationship, I'm asking you to take one step in putting yourself into their shoes to see if maybe you've missed something. Because there are times in our relationships that we think we know what's going on from this side. And it's, it's tainted, it's, it's skewed, because we haven't seen the full picture. To illustrate that, I want to show you this video. This video is going to come up, and this is a, this is a, um, a mold of Albert Einstein. And so this is the question. Is this mold, is it convexed or concaved? Don't, don't say it out loud in your mind or write it down on your, on your communication card. Does it, is it, does it bulge out or is it curved in? You got your answer in your mind? Okay, show the video. Now let me ask you, how many of you are right? One, two, three, maybe four or five. And let me ask you this, could that potentially happen in your relationship? Could it be because you're viewing it from one side and through a hurt lens, through a frustrated lens, through being offended, you're seeing something that might not be completely accurate. I don't know if you watch golf. Um, I like golf, so I watch it. And one of the things that you'll notice if you watch golf is that uh, the good putters, when they're on the green, they will read the putt from behind the ball. They're trying to see which way the grain's going because that will influence the putt. They're looking for slope. I mean, there's things that they're looking for. But the real good putters will actually not only look behind the ball, but they'll walk all the way around to the other side. And they'll read the exact same putt. Why? Because they know there's thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars riding on this one putt, and they don't want to get it wrong. I think our relationships are at least that important. We don't want to get it wrong. We want to have all the information so that we can hopefully bring health to this relationship. And so what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to put yourself in the other person's shoes so that you can get a full picture of what's going on, even if you feel like you've done nothing wrong. Empathy is the key that bridges the gap between the disconnect and begins bringing about maybe hopefully a healthy conversation that will bring peace. Now, there is a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is saying, I understand your emotions. You're mad at me. I get it. You're yelling. It doesn't take a rocket science to know that you are mad. I've done something or there's something going on in your life. And so I'm sympathizing. I'm stating you are mad. You are upset. You are angry. Empathy is feeling their emotion. And that's different. 
And it's such a big deal that God says, I'm going to do that. There's bad blood between the people that I've created. Not on God's end. And he could because we've sinned against him. But on our end. We, we sinned against him. We, we disobeyed his commands and we've been selfish towards each other. We have sinned. And listen to what God did in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, there's that word, with our weakness. We have one who's been tempted in every way that we are. He just, he's never sinned. So Jesus Christ, who is fully God, wraps himself in human flesh and becomes fully man. He's fully God and he's fully man. Why would he do that? So that he could understand what it's like to be betrayed. See, you don't understand, Jesus. I was stabbed in the back by my best friend. You can't relate to that. And Jesus would say, is their name Judas? Judas? And you don't understand, they've lied about me and they've lied to me. And Jesus would be like, I understand that. Had a group of religious people that actually did that to me. The Bible says that Jesus experienced our pain. He understands what you're going through. He's felt it. And that's why he can offer his life for us so that we can have peace with the Father. Without it, we couldn't. Could you imagine if Jesus and God responded to difficult relationships the way that we do? I'm not going to take the initiative. Let them come crawling to me. When they're ready, then, I'll, then, then, then we'll talk. He didn't do that. We do that, but he doesn't do that. Look at, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10. Jesus is the one that initiates this conversation. This is, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, when was it restored? While we were still his enemy. God restored our relationship, our friendship, from being frenemies to being a friend when we still had bad blood on our end. He says, I'm going to initiate it. I'm going to start the conversation. I'm going to put myself in your shoes, wrap myself in flesh so I can understand everything that you're going through. So we can't look at God and say, you don't understand at all. God says, I do. This was so important to Jesus that he communicate this to his disciples. That one day, uh, Peter comes to him, and this is found in Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes to him, and, and there's some bad blood between some people. It doesn't say in the Bible who the bad blood was, but starting in verse number 21 of Matthew chapter 18, Peter's asking this question. He says, Peter came to him, him being Jesus, and said, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who has sinned against me seven times? So there's a person in Peter's life that has done something to him, and not just once, not just twice, but seven different times they've done the same thing to him. And Peter's like, I've done it seven times. Is that good? Are we all set? Can I drop this person now? Look at Jesus' response. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Then he goes on to share this story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared 
to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought into him who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered him to be sold, not only him, but his wife and his children, and everything that he owned to pay back his debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged with him, please, be patient with me, and I will pay you. I'll pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity. What did the master do? The master put himself in his shoes. He knew there was no way he was going to be able to pay it back. So he had pity on him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, so walks right out of the king's presence, walking down the street going home, he found a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Please, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called him the man who he had forgiven and he said, you evil, some of the other translations say wicked, this, this evil, wicked servant. He says, I forgave you this tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you, shouldn't you have mercy on this fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to torment him until he paid it entire debt. And Jesus says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, we're reading this story from this side. And I can ask you, who's the jerk in the story? Obviously, it's the servant. Now, the king, he could have put that guy in jail, right? It was his right. The guy owed him money, and he couldn't pay. He could have done that, but he didn't. He showed him mercy, gave him something he didn't deserve, gave him mercy. And so we would, we would think, if, if Visa called you today and said, hey, don't worry about it. And you're like, oh, don't worry about next month's payment? Well, what are you talking about? No, don't worry about it. We're zero. That's what you owe. I know, right? How would you feel? And then you're going to go out and find somebody that owes you 10 bucks because you lost it in poker last night, and you're going to tell them, pay up, or I'm taking you to court. See, we know that this guy's a jerk. That would be a jerky thing to do. But don't we do that in our relationships? See, I want to be forgiven, but I'm not going to forgive you. I want a second chance. I want you to give me a second chance, but you don't deserve a second chance from me. I want you to love me. I want you to like me, but hey, you've offended me. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to like you. And in some of our relationships, we're just like this unforgiving servant. And God would say that we're wicked. We're evil. Because we're not willing to do what he's already done for us. And that's He's put himself in our shoes 
He's forgiven us even when we weren't asking for forgiveness. He loved us even before we asked for his love. And then when we receive that, we're not willing to give it to others. When we empathize and we put ourselves in another person's shoes, we are imitating Christ. Now, just because you do that doesn't mean that the relationship's going to be all sweet. It may not work out. You might put yourself out there, and the person, because of the hurt, the pain, or whatever, may reject your attempt at resolving it. And at that point, you can only have peace about the relationship. Peace that you've done everything that you know to do, and it's just not going to get better. Let me give you four qualities of empathy. These qualities are the action steps that I want you to take this week as you work through the bad blood that's in your relationships. Okay, if you want to take out your communication card and write them down, these are the four steps that I want you to take. The first quality is this. It's taking on the other person's perspective as truth. Now, I'm telling you, this is not easy. What I'm asking you to do is not something that you normally would want to do. I'm asking you to put yourself in their shoes and take on their reality as truth. Now, from this side, you're like, that, that's not truth. That's not how it happened. That's not what I said. So why would I do that? Because you'll never understand what's going on in that person's life if you don't. So take the person at work that all you did was say hello to, and they just dumped on you. You're like, what up, dude? All I said was good morning, and you're yelling at me. And so you put yourself in their shoes, and you find out that as they were walking down the hall, they were coming from the boss's office, and they just got fired. And before they left work, their spouse said that they're leaving them. Visa called not to say, hey, don't worry about your payment. Visa called to say, hey, I'm taking you to small claims court because you're behind. So now you're in his shoes. All that went on in your life this morning. How would you respond? Would everything be fine in your life? Would you be upset? So I'm asking you to take on their perspective as truth. The second thing is suspend your judgment. Don't be quick to judge. Just like the, the video, sometimes we can be wrong. Sometimes we can not have the full picture. So I know what I'm asking you to do, and in your mind, because I wrestle with this, isn't that mean, doesn't that mean, though, that I'm, I'm condoning their actions by, by empathizing? They were wrong. And just because you empathize with a person does not mean that you're condoning what they do. The religious leaders brought a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus doesn't dispute this. This is in John chapter 8. He doesn't dispute that. And the religious leaders said, hey, the Bible says that we're to, we're to stone her. We're to put her to death. And Jesus simply asked, okay, you want to put her to death because of her sin. <clears throat> if you don't have any sin in your life, then go ahead and, and cast the first stone. See, they wanted Jesus to, to judge her for her sin, but they don't want to be judged for their sin. And so if you know the story, the Bible says that they they walked away because they knew that they were not without sin. 
So Jesus asked her, where are all your accusers? She says, I don't have any. They've all left. And Jesus makes this statement. Then I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. So Jesus empathized with her. He understood how humiliated she was, how broken she was. And he didn't judge her, but he didn't say it was okay what she did. So you can empathize with somebody and not say it's okay. You're just trying to understand. The third thing is recognize their emotion. So now that you put yourself in this guy's shoes at work, you can understand how he feels. How would you feel? I would be upset. I would be angry. I'd be disappointed. I'd be embarrassed. I would feel without hope. I would question if there really is a God, right? If all that went wrong in my life. Now, it doesn't take away from the offense, but it lightens the offense. And so I would say, write that down, right? How you would feel in that circumstance. Because you've never lashed out at somebody because you were mad at somebody else, right? I'm the only one that's done that, right? Is there any logic at all in their behavior, how they responded? Have you done that? And then the last thing is, communicate that emotion. Once you felt it, then you can go to that person and have a conversation. Not saying, you made me mad. You were wrong. That's not going to help the bad blood. But going to that person saying, you know what? I understand that you're upset, and I would be too. You're angry, you're hurt, and I would be too. That conversation makes the difference, right? Because now you have more information. Let me ask you, if you took that approach with your spouse, would that change your relationship? Kids, if you took that approach with your parents, would that change your relationship with your parents? Parents with your children. Would it change it with your coworker? Your roommate? I think it would. So what I'm asking you to do this week is to put yourself in the other person's shoes, imitate Christ and empathize with them and see if that doesn't lead to you having a healthier conversation because now you're not judging them, you're understanding them. And that's going to allow you to have a healthier conversation. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Is it possible that you can have peace in this relationship that you're thinking about? I don't know. You have to answer that yourself. Is it possible? Have you done everything that you know to do, including empathizing with this person? If you have, and you've talked to them, and you've confessed your part of the bad blood, and you've asked for forgiveness, and nothing has changed, then you can be at peace about that relationship. You've done everything that you know to do. But if not, I'm asking you to take this step. Maybe you're here, and you understand now that you have bad blood between you and God.
you're not at peace with God. And it's not because he doesn't love you. He does. And it's not because he won't forgive you because he will. It's because for the first time you realized it's your part that you haven't confessed. It's your sin that you're holding on to. Whether you're mad at God or, or whatever it is. And so maybe the step that you need to take is making amends with God. Asking God to forgive you of your sin, your brokenness, your disobedience, and turn to him and accept his forgiveness and his love. And it's in that moment that you will find peace with God. And maybe that's your prayer. God, I pray for those that are here today that they know this week is going to be a very difficult week because they are going to attempt to put themselves in a very uncomfortable situation in putting themselves in the other person's shoe. They're going to look at it from their perspective, what's going on in their life, the things that they've experienced, the emotions and the feelings that they're going through so they can have a better picture of what's going on in their relationship. And God, there might be somebody here today that would say, I don't believe that I can trust God enough to do that. I think it would be too painful, and I don't know that it would accomplish anything. God, my prayer for that person is this, that they would just trust you. Trust you that if they just obey you enough to trust you, that you'll make it worth it. their wild. Even if they never find peace in the relationship, they can have peace about the relationship because they've done everything you've asked them to do. But God, my prayer is during this series of bad blood is that we would hear story after story of people who have reconciled, whether it's in their marriage, whether it's with their children, their coworkers, uh, their roommates, that they have healthier relationships because they're making the effort. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.